think it was Thanksgiving morning, and we, our family was driving to Newton, Kansas to hang out with my in-laws. We were listening to this Sarah Reeves album, and we were between uh, like that Hutch Blacktop and Inman, and that song came on, and I said to my wife, sometime before Astrid graduates, we're going to need her to go unhinged on that song because uh, she would slay it. And I was right. Uh, the, the thing about that song, um, obviously very... Uh, appealing from an audio standpoint, but it speaks to this tension that we all live in, which is trying to be in two places at the same time. Physically, it's impossible for us to be two places at the same time. Technologically, it's getting very close to trick our minds and our bodies into feeling like we are somewhere where, where we're not. Virtual reality, which is something that they've been developing for as long as I can remember, and at one point in time was just this like incredibly expensive and not terribly convincing technology, has come so far to the point where now virtual reality headsets are relatively affordable and you can have these immersive experiences just looking at your TV and your phone. And so even if you were in Sterling, Kansas, you could kind of trick your, your, your mind and your body into thinking, wow, here I am 360 degrees at the base of the Himalayas, or here I am at the ocean, or here I am running and playing a sporting event, or here I am in some kind of battle simulation situation. So we're getting close, but the fact remains that there's still this physical limitation where we can't be in two places at the same time. Now we know that mentally, emotionally, we can kind of be two places at the same time. It's really hard it's really difficult to be present in both spaces. There may be some of us today who have things that we are, are worried about. And so we're here and we're trying to engage in worship or, or sometimes we might be later today in class trying to, to think about what the professor is saying. And we're just really excited to go home for, for Easter break or whatever the, the idea might be. And we're like, man, this is it's difficult. It's difficult to stay focused when my heart or my mind is in two places. But the reality of our situation here on earth spiritually is that there is a sense in which we are two places at once. There is a sense in which we are redeemed, but at the same time, we have these heavy chains. At the same time, we, we, we look at ourselves and we see these stains. And so what does it look like for us to be in two places at the same time. You know, Habakkuk, uh, the, the prophet, dealt with this. When we introed the book of Habakkuk, we looked at chapter one and we talked about what it looks like for us to have a discussion or even to argue with God. And, and, and the question that Habakkuk was asking was, why God? Why does this have to happen? How God, how, how could you, in your goodness, allow these prophecies to come true? Why is it that, that, that we have to be punished? Isn't there another way? In the second chapter of Habakkuk that we looked at last Wednesday, the question then became, all right, well, how long are we going to have to wait? And how are we going to wait through this? Because we believe that there's goodness there, but we believe that this process has to, has to take place. How long do we have to wait if we're going to affirm that God is a good God and God is a just God and God is a gracious God? How long are we going to have to wait to experience those things? And in chapter three today that we're going to look at, Habakkuk makes some, some affirmations about God 
And he shows us a little bit about what it looks like to be two places at the same time. Habakkuk's prayer in chapter three begins with these words, the prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to Shiganoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, I do fear in the midst of the years, revive it in the midst of the years, make it known in wrath. Remember mercy. God came to Timon and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor is covered in the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague, followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Kashan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea? When you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation, you stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You thrust the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses. The surging of mighty waters I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. And in that first rather large section of Habakkuk chapter 3, he is proclaiming things that have already been done. And he is making assertions about what he believes God has done and the ways that God ha has worked, the ways that God's anger and, and rage and wrath have worked throughout history. And he comes to the end and, and there's almost this, this, this sense of a very pure fear of God. That, okay, God, we, we've, we've talked about it. We've argued it out. And I've asked you all the questions. And I believe that, that you have to do this thing. And I believe that you are going to do this thing. And, and I'm shook. I'm shook to, to, to my very core. The, the words that he, he uses here, that his whole body trembles and his lips quiver. There is nothing that he can do to keep himself together. There is no brave face. There's no front that is to be put out that, that can keep him from, from literally melting. And he says, I understand that this is going to happen. I understand that it is, it is within your will and your wisdom and so what I am going to do, God, is I am going to wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. And that's one of the places that Habakkuk is at right here at this moment as he closes out this book. But he's also in another place at the same time. 
Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, there is no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. And Habakkuk says, even though I am melting before you, God, and even though I know that your wrath is coming, I am still going to praise you. It's hard for Habakkuk to praise God. In fact, he has to to borrow words from someone else who has praised God in a different time. When Habakkuk uses this imagery of, of, of God is, is, is the Lord is my strength and he makes my feet like the deers. He makes me tread on my high places. He is borrowing words from the psalmist. And these words, these experiences that the psalmist has already had, Habakkuk is essentially saying, I've grounded myself in the history of what God has done. I've grounded myself in the reality that we must be torn down so that we can be built up. But I am also going to ground myself in the hope of scripture that says, even when these things happen, God is going to be here with me. And so even though I fear I'm still going to praise. Even though destruction comes, I'm still going to worship. I'm going to to allow myself, I'm maybe even going to force myself to be in two places at the same time where I fear this Lord, my God, but I have faith and joy in this Lord, my God. This idea that life can come out of death that wholeness can be rebuilt out of destruction. That's something that we see in nature. I had a chance to see this uh, firsthand this weekend. My wife and I had the opportunity to go back to her home county, Chase County, Kansas, a county that has the distinction of of having more cows than people, uh, a county that has, in its entire county, fewer people than live in Sterling, Kansas. And one of the reasons is that it was a very difficult place to settle. It's in a part of the state called the Flint Hills. So unlike Sterling, we have this flatness and we have sandy soil that's very easy to to dig through. And Chase County is just rocks everywhere. It's one of the the greatest limestone producing areas of this entire country. So there are limestone quarries, but really the only other thing that they can do there with the land is graze it. And as they graze the land, what they have learned over the centuries and even relearned as they have looked at Native American history is that sometimes you have to burn the land. This is what the land looks like right now. And as you can see, it's, it's, it's dry. And there are these tall grasses and they grow up. And one of the problems that they have had is not only do these tall grasses grow up, but there are some other things that are not native, like cedar trees that have grown up in the Flint Hills. And when those things grow up, what they tend to do is they tend to make it really difficult each year for any new growth to happen. And if lightning would would happen to, to strike or if a fire were to start, all of that dry grass and all of these cedar trees, especially as they would get bigger, would just go up like kindling and it would put people at danger and it would put property at danger. What they found as they have researched this is that Native Americans used to strategically in this area, burn the land. And so they would burn the land and they would uh, make it kind of look like this with, with this charredness. And what would happen is two things. Number one, it would give them a safe place 
to set up, especially for the winter. Uh, and then in the summer, it would give them a safe place to set up where they wouldn't have to worry about wild, wildfires encroaching in on their area. And they could go out and be about their business and not worry about coming back uh, to the charred remains of, of their, their camps or their settlements. Um, this, is, this is me in the middle of a burned pasture. But what they also realized is that there was an opportunity there once the ground burns down to this smoldering mess in very short time, literally in a matter of days, a very rich, fertile, green grass would start to grow up. As that green grass would start to grow up, it would attract life back to the area. The bison would come and they could hunt the bison and and their needs would be met. They would have space to live and the land would be made healthy through that destruction. Now, here's the thing that I learned. I'd always seen this up close as we would go visit my in-laws for Easter. Here's the thing that I learned about the destruction and the burning of the land, um, seeing it up close and firsthand, is that these fires are, 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 are immersive. These fires, even in a controlled situation where they're only trying to burn certain areas, are, are so uh, uh, destructive in a really good way. They are an assault on your senses. This grass, it would, it would, uh, I put a match down myself, and after about 15 seconds, I had to take a step back because smoke was, was filling my nose. Because my face was literally burning as the heat built up. Because I had to shield my eyes from the brightness of of the fire. And it was even scary because all around you on these hillsides and on these hilltops in in this prairie area, uh, it was just the popping of fire. Pop, 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 pop. Crackle, 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 crackle. And the people that we were out with, the ranchers, like uh, their horses were incredibly brave. And they would like actually run through and, and, and walk on the charred remains. And they were helping guide stuff and keep people safe. But there were a couple of horses that were young and they just weren't used to all of this action yet. And man, they would, uh, they would neigh and they would be freaking out. And they kind of had them over in this pen on the side as they just got them used to the energy of, uh, of, of, of the place. Um, and there was something all encompassing about that process of taking an unhealthy land and of moving it from death into life. And, you know, the next morning when you look at it and the whole ground is charred and it's black, you are of two minds about the whole thing. Number one, wow, that was a lot of destruction. You could still smell the, the kind of the smoldering earth. There wasn't much to look at because it was all black. But at the same time, what you knew, because we had seen it over and over and over again, was that life is going to come from this ground. And in a matter of days, in a matter of weeks, it is going to be beautiful. It is going to be healthy. It is going to be vibrant. It is going to be as it should be. And there is a natural process in place where God allows the world this cycle of death and renewal. But it was amazing to see it play out and up close. You could be of two minds about it. Just as Habakkuk came in his arguments with God, And in his waiting on God to be of two minds about what God was going to do. That the people had to be burnt down so that the people could be built up to do what they were supposed to do. And he was even of an assured mind about this, even though he was not going to get to see the life-giving aspect of what was going to happen. 
You know, those words from the prophets can often be hard to read, and I bet that they were hard to understand from um, the perspective of the people who lived them the first time, because it's difficult to think, man, why couldn't God just find another way to do this? I tend to be of the opinion that God is a compassionate God, and that even when the people of God need to be punished, when God's creation needs to, to, to be punished, or, or when things need to happen so that growth can happen and things can be set the way they need to be, that, that God, in a way, enters into that experience with us. And when we feel pain, God feels pain. When we mourn, God mourns that God understands what is necessary, but God is not distant or far off in that process. That's easier said than, than, than accepted, I think. If you're in the midst of that all-encompassing intensity that the fires of life bring to us, when our eyes are burning from smoke and our lungs are filled with smoke and, and, and we have to try to back up and find some escape from, from the heat and there's chaos all around us and, and very concerning sounds. But, but having read about God and read about God's character and reading about how connected God is to us, I have to hold on to that truth. I have to believe that. And I will say this, with the benefit of hindsight, I also believe that God enters into that experience with us because God did enter into that experience with us, didn't he? Isn't part of the challenge of the Lenten season, isn't part of the challenge of, of Holy Week being of two minds at the same time, being in two places at once, being in touch with our brokenness and our sin? Knowing that, 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 that we are a people who are in need of a wholeness that we cannot grasp for ourselves. Knowing that, that we are a creation that has transgressed the laws and, and the will of God. And there's no way to put that mess back into the box. Isn't part of, of what we do when we think about Jesus' journey to the cross being just acutely aware of the need that, that, that we have for completeness, for peace, for shalom in our own lives. But, but don't we know that we're not just marching, slogging through this perpetual nether? We're, we're not just in some kind of abandoned zombie land that, that forever is going to be apocalyptic and difficult, that we are actually journeying towards something something good? Aren't we actually journeying toward, toward the light that Habakkuk talked about? Aren't we actually journeying toward, toward life? And, and as we make that journey, isn't it difficult for us to be in two places at the same time to, to wrestle with the ways in which we have hurt God and hurt ourselves and hurt others, but to know that we have already been redeemed that that work has been accomplished. And while Habakkuk has to stand and say, yes, God, I believe that the work will be accomplished because you are a God who keeps promises, that we have the opportunity in this New Testament church context to say, no, 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 we already are the redeemed. So yeah, we may be the, the, the sinners, but we're the redeemed. And now what do we do with that? How do we go on that journey? And isn't there an opportunity for us? to have this blessed existence, to know that God has not just stood far off and smote us with lightning and burned us to the ground, but that God himself has walked this journey with us. That it is not just by some waving of the magic wand 
that we are given healing, but it is by the stripes of Jesus Christ that we are healed. That Jesus has done been in the fire with us. That Jesus knows that, that how hot it has been for us. That Jesus knows what it is like for the tears to well up in our eyes and to run down our face. That Jesus knows what the chaos in the abyss feels like. That Jesus has been abandoned. That Jesus has been abused. That Jesus has had his life snuffed out. But even in the midst of all of that, Jesus lives. And it's just tough to be of those two minds, isn't it? Because sometimes it's just like you try to put two minds into one mind, just blows your mind. That's what happens. Isn't that what faith is about? Taking these things that we just can't understand all the time and saying, okay, God, I'm I'm, going to hold on to that. I'm going to believe that. And maybe like Habakkuk, sometimes we have to take words that aren't our own and just like claim those words and, and own those words. And say, yes, God, I've seen the testimony of, of, of Christ followers who have come before me, and, and, and I'm going to hold on to that. Yes, God, I see the testimony of people in Scripture, and I'm going to hold on to that. I see the testimony of people who have said that you are good, and you are powerful, and you are gracious. And even in the midst of this time where I feel abandoned, I'm going to hold on to the words of the prophets, or of the psalmist, or of even Jesus himself I'm going to be of those two minds no matter how much tension is there and no matter how hard it is. Look, you might be, not be a liturgical person. This whole like 40 days thing in Lent, that might have just been like 35 days too many for you. I understand. That's okay. You know, we're from different backgrounds. Some of us are different um, uh, walks, different steps in our walk of faith. But I wonder if we can't just do this over the next few days as we close out this time. From Wednesday to Sunday, what would it look like for us to dedicate ourselves to being of these two minds? And today and tomorrow and Friday and even Saturday, what does it look like for us to, to, to really think about what are the ways in which I'm broken right now? What are the ways in which my sinful nature bubbles up to the surface and erupts? What are the ways in which I'm trying to shove my sinful nature down and I feel like at some point with my muscles quivering, it's just going to erupt everywhere and people are going to see like me for who I really am. What if we really try to be in touch with those things, not just simply so that we can write them down in our journals or make a list or talk to people about them or beat ourselves up or put it wherever we're going to put it, but so that we can know that God is marching with us on this journey, that we are actually journeying toward something and we are journeying toward Sunday, that we can rejoice in the Lord, that we will take joy in the God of our salvation, that God indeed is the Lord, is our strength, and he will make our feet like the deer's. He will make us tread on our high places that someday we will leave this time of fire and flame and there will be a time where we can go into spirit space and the space will be green. The space will be lush. The sun will shine it down upon our face. All of our needs will be met. We are the redeemed and it has been accomplished by the work and by the will and by the power and by the grace and by the goodness and by the truth of the God who created us and loves us and has faithfully pursued us throughout history. Can we be of those two minds? It's not easy. But it's necessary. It's necessary to be in two places at the same time. To prep us for that, we are going to to worship a little bit more um, this morning.
As we do that, feel free to, to, to stand and worship. Feel free to, to sit and, and contemplate. Allow God to do the work that God wants to do in your life. And in this moment, as we journey together from death to life, knowing that we are redeemed and it has been accomplished. God, we thank you for this day. And we thank you, God, that you are big enough to do a lot of things at once. We are thankful that you have a divine plan. And so we'll come to you, God, with with the shambles and with the wreck and with the mess and with the ug. And and we'll proclaim that to you. We will. Like Habakkuk, we'll argue with you. We'll cry out to you how long. We will affirm what the reality of the situation is. And then we will affirm the reality of who you are. As we grow spiritually, God, help us to be in touch with the ways in which you're calling us to be humble and to repent. Help us also, God, to be in touch with the fact that you have done an amazing work in history, that you call us to you. And what we just have to do is profess this, this belief and have this faith and wait into the tension. And you'll continue to transform us and make it happen. And there will be a day where you will call us into your presence. We love you, God. And, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name.